Welcome those around you. Welcome to Crossroads. We're glad you're here. As we continue this morning, let's join our hearts together. Glory to God in the highest. We have a reason to sing, amen, because we know that Savior. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus, our Messiah. Heaven's perfect Son. Touch your hearts, 
Awesome God we serve. You know, Pastor's been challenging us to read the Bible through this year, and many of you have been on the, uh, the reading plan that he's promoted out in the foyer. I encourage you to pick one of those up. And maybe you fell off the bandwagon somewhere along on that. Pick it up. Just start today. Um, and, and just get back into reading the Bible. I, uh, the next song we're going to sing is called Not To Us. And as I was reading through that plan this week, I said, man, there are the words to that song, not to us, but to your name be the glory. So these songs come right from the scripture. And uh, this morning, let's just pause for a moment and let's turn our hearts from who we are to God. Let's pause and bow in prayer this morning, not to us, but to the Lord. Call upon his name right now. Say, Lord, I come before you and I, I, I remove all the distractions of my mind right now. And I look to you, Lord. Father God, I, I call upon your name this morning, Lord. We, we love you, and we, we, we're deeply moved by your presence, Lord. We're deeply moved by your character, and we, we respond in great awe to who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we've been able to read through the, through the word, and we're able to just see who you are, and your, your goodness just keeps coming out in your word. Father, I pray for all of our people in our church, Lord, that we will continue our commitment to be people of the Word, people who walk by your Word, people who know you by hanging, hanging out with you in the Word, Lord. God, I thank you that we can turn our hearts from ourselves and from the things of this world and put them on you, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated as we sing this morning. Not to us. We engage with the Lord together, shall we? The cross before me, the world behind. No turning back. Raise the banner high. It's not for me. It's all for you. Let the heavens shake and split the sky. Let the people clap their hands and cry. It's not for us. It's all for you. Not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. It's all for you. Send your holy fire on this offering. Let our worship burn for the world to see. It's not for us. It's all for you. Not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. It's all for you. Waves are crashing, the sun is raging. It's all for you. The universe spinning and singing. It's all for you. The children dancing, dancing, dancing. 
it's all for you. The earth is shaking, the mountains shouting, it's all for you. The waves are crashing, the sun is raging, it's all for you. The universe spinning and singing, it's all for you. It's all for you Not to us, but to your name Be the glory Not to us, but to your name Be the glory Not to us, but to your name Be the glory good energy in the church this morning, except for the people that were in the program. They're just hanging on this morning by a thread. Please reach in the book rack right in front of you somewhere and find one of our little black friendship folders, if you'd be so kind, and take that out and put your name on it. Give it to a person sitting near you. Many, many thanks to everybody who uh, participated. Uh, in our program last weekend and this weekend. Uh, I was just uh, talking earlier to Sandy Walshack. Sandy is our cheerleader here in the church. She invited her whole neighborhood to the, to the program, and they were here last night. It's like She's like the pastor of this neighborhood right over here. And uh, she brought them here, and then she invited them to her house after. I couldn't see anything even after. You know, she said, okay, come on up to our house. She said, I got to bed at five o'clock this morning. She was here in the first service. She said, I'm going to the football game now. So if uh, that girl's got energy, you know that? But it was really cool. And we thank everybody for the part. You know, I mentioned in the first service that thanks, a special thanks you know, it's hard to name everybody, but special thanks to the people that built this uh, set for us back here. Um, they, they, they are the real, uh, they work hard. They build that down in our garage, down in the back, and they work a lot of nights, many, many nights, and uh, they put together something really beautiful, and Dana, of course, is the architect of that, and, and I, I'm, I'm hating the idea of taking it down. Uh, I'm getting comfortable with it. It's, uh, it's kind of warm, isn't it? So thank you, everybody, for, uh, for the part that you have in this. Uh, inside your curry, I want you to take a peek of this, uh, look at this with me this morning. Uh, right now, we've just, uh, we're trying to catch our breath. We've been through so much in the church, you know, uh, so many programs, so many things going on. Now this is our last final push to the end of the year. We're trying to raise this amount of money to give to our missionaries. Uh, they are God's frontline soldiers. And so uh, I was looking through this in the first service and I made a few check marks. Uh, we have a lot of money going out of here to train young pastors and missionaries. Uh, the next generation the people that are going to replace us um, all over the place. Boston Baptist College, Boston, Massachusetts. Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. Word of Life Bible Institute, Scroon Lake, New York. We're trying to encourage these, we're trying to encourage them. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, right here is Dave and Sarah Henderson. Sarah is... Uh, Dave and Ann Dedrick's daughter. She used to be in our church many years ago. Dave and Ann, remember, went to Mozambique as a missionary. They're, they're not in there. 
Mozambique now, he sent me a letter and he said, would you consider taking our support and giving it to my daughter and her husband? They're working, uh, trying to reach the college students at Vanderbilt University. And I read one of their letters and you know, that's like, in these secular universities, it's like beating your head against the wall. And I thought, boy, let's encourage them. They're trying to reach in those places that are hotbeds of liberalism and try to uh, give the gospel. And so they're on here. And we have so many wonderful things. Ed and Anita Hoagland in Mexico. Several years ago, I went to Mexico City. Uh, I tried to get out of it because it's so dangerous down there. The pastor there wouldn't let me get out of it. He said, listen, we've promoted you, you're coming. I gave in and uh, went to Mexico City. They have a camp outside of Mexico City where they, where they bring busloads of young people who are not in church all summer long to preach the gospel to them. They bring thousands of young people. Uh, they give the gospel and many of those young people sign up at the camp to go to Bible college. And so they're doing a terrific work. Everybody is afraid in Mexico. Has anybody been there recently? Everybody, okay. Everybody is afraid in Mexico. It is a fearful, fearful place. But these are missionaries are serving God in an environment that they don't know if they're going to make it for another day. And so we want to encourage them. So I'd like for you to go home and have a family meeting and say, can we take care of one of these projects? Could we support Jeff and Arlene Berg for $3,000? Could we uh, take care of Dave and Sarah Henderson for 2000 Make a major investment this year, not just a, a token, okay? Now, I know that not everybody can do that, but it's going to take all of us doing everything we can by buying less and giving more this year to reach this goal. And this will last. This will last. This is an investment in souls. So pray about your part. Give more to Jesus than any other single person on your gift list. Give by faith and thank God that we can be on the giving end, right? Because it's more blessed to what? To give than receive, it really is. And so uh, whenever you give your gifts for Christmas, make sure you designate it. Winston T., I see him here this morning. He's kept me up the last two weekends. In the middle of the night, I'm thinking about his part. I almost got it down now. Almost. It's a big part. Uh, Let's stand together as our ushers come and we'll receive our offering. As you come to receive the offering, gentlemen, let me uh, just say a word about our this box up here, this Christmas box I have on the platform. I want to encourage you as families to go home and, and wrap one of these up and put it under your Christmas tree. Put a big sign on it like we, like we have on this one, to Jesus. And so that when people come to your house, you can say, hey, listen, Christmas, is this is our major concern here in our home. Uh, we're giving a gift to Christ this Christmas. And uh, it's a good conversation piece. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us. We pray now that you will uh, move in upon us even as we give our tithes and offerings to Christ today. Uh, You have blessed most of us in this room with a job. There may be a few that are looking right now. You bless most of us with a job, Lord. We have an income to take care of our families. And now we come, Lord, to render back to you a portion of what you've given to us to take care of your work here on the hill, and through our missionaries around the world. We pray now, Lord, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
to worship our God. These are words right from the book of Psalms. relationship you've allowed us to have with you. As our pastor comes now and opens your word, Lord, we ask for your spirit, the spirit of the Lord to be in this place and meet with us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah. I'd like to talk to you this morning about announcing Christmas. The Lord did a pretty good job announcing Christmas in the Old Testament. And here's one of the passages beginning in verse number 1, Isaiah chapter 9. It's talking about the northern kingdom in Israel. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. I want you to notice the negative words in this, this passage of Scripture. 
gloom, distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those were two of the tribes of Israel surrounding the Sea of Galilee area in the north. Gloom, distress. Uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward, more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of, of the Gentiles. Now, we're all familiar with the Sea of Galilee. But uh, this is a, a, a different name right here for that area. It's in Israel, but it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now, if that verse seems familiar to you, it should, because it's given to us over in the book of Matthew also, relating to the ministry of Jesus. So it's taken right from here, and it's given by Matthew in his Gospels. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broke, broken the yoke of the burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. And that refers to the ultimate victory uh, that uh, the Messiah has uh, upon the section in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. Now we have the passage that you're familiar with. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Uh, this is a unique prophecy in the Old Testament, and I'll tell you the reason why. You remember last week I talked to you about the two streams of biblical prophecy in the Old Testament. The one refers to the suffering servant. Uh, the other refers to the conquering king. Uh, they love those conquering king things. They didn't understand the suffering servant at all. In this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, we have both of these things coming together. We have both prophecies, the prophecy of his first coming and the prophecy of his second coming. Whenever you read through the Old Testament, you see a number of prophecies about the first coming of Christ. Actually, there are 300 180 of them are unique. Of that 180, some of them are repeated, and therefore we have 300 in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Christ. But we have an explosion of prophecy about the second coming of Christ, actually eight times as many as the first coming of Christ. The writer here is Isaiah. He's what is known in the Bible as a major prophet. And so when you read it, it's, it looks major. It is. Uh, he's like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. When we think of the prophet, we often think of them just predicting the future. But, you know, they did a lot more than that. In fact, that was a pretty small part of their ministry. They just didn't always go around and write down things that were projected way out in the future. And actually, this is about 700 years out into the future right here. Uh, they had a ministry like some of us have. They had a ministry of encouraging people. They were good at warning people. A lot of people didn't like them because they were always throwing out a warning. You know, shape up your life. God holds you accountable, things of that nature. They would admonish the people and they would encourage the people. And every now and then, God would drop one of these things into their mind about prophecy and they would write these great prophetic things down that you and I enjoy today. Well, this particular one was written down 700 years before the time of Christ. Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament over 65 times. 
more than any other Old Testament prophet. And he's mentioned by name 20 times. Here we have the two comings of Christ. Someone has said that in the Old Testament, the prophet would look forward and he would see these two mountain peaks of prophecy. But he didn't see the valley in between. And they sometimes lumped them all together and they were confused about the first coming and the second coming. Now, it's so much easier for us to understand it today because we live in the valley between the first coming and the second coming. And so if we look back toward the first mountain peak of prophecy, 20, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? I mean, we can see that pretty easily. When you read the prophecies in the Old Testament, you say, oh, I know what that's about. That's about Christ. And here we are in the valley, and we can look forward to that second mountain. We see the prophecies of the second coming. They didn't have that advantage. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 really describes their dilemma about prophecy. Let's read this together this morning. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Boy, there's a lot in this passage right here. These Old Testament prophets, whenever the Lord dropped one of these jewels on them that they were to write down and they were to talk about, they didn't understand it. Uh, They scratched their head. What's this really about? But here in the last part of this, this verse, it talks about Christ's suffering and his great glory after that. That's the two streams of prophecy right there. They struggled on both of them. The first coming of Christ for his suffering, the second coming of Christ for his glory. Chapter 9, verse 1. We find here mentioned the need of the Messiah. This is not a pretty picture in verse number 1. Well, what it's talking about is northern Israel, Galilee. You know, when you think about Galilee, you think about that serene little, actually it's a lake, they call it a sea. I, I don't know why they do that. Just a small little body of water. We think it's a calm and collected. Uh, but around there, Zebulun and Naphtali, around Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, they were, it was a dark place, and they were like the first region to really become rebellious against God. And so what happened is the Lord lifted the protection from around Zebulun and Naphtali and allowed the Assyrians to come in and destroy the area. And what they did is they came in and they took out, they extracted the more elite class of people out of northern Israel and they took them into captivity. They imported some people from some other lands in there and it became a mixed society. That's why we have the statement here in verse number one, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now remember, Galilee is a Jewish property. It's a Jewish place. But here we find it has been infiltrated with people from other places and other lands. And so it was looked upon by the southern region of Egypt as something that was impure. They looked down upon this region. They had lots of problems in this region because they had turned their back on God. And, you know, in any land and in any place, when people turn their back on God, things get hard. Things get difficult. Because whenever we turn our heart to God, that's when the blessings come. When we turn our back away from God, he withholds the blessing. And so what he did is he lifted the protective shield that he had around this area whenever they rebelled against him so greatly. And the land fell into gloom and darkness. And uh, it was destroyed. Well, they needed the coming of Christ, northern Israel. And it's interesting 
that the next verse, verse number 2, talks about the coming of Christ. Here's this land that has been destroyed, but when Jesus comes, where is he going first to minister? The land that needs him the most, Galilee. They turned against him. Now he's coming for them. And look at verse number 2 one more time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. That's referring to Christ. When Jesus came, remember, he moved his headquarters to Capernaum, and he started preaching right around that Galilee area. He was trying to turn the lights on that had been turned off. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a great light shined. And so as you follow Jesus' ministry, he's going from town to town around the Sea of Galilee, and he's turning the light on that had been turned off by God, by the judgment of God. Uh, that was the ministry. The people who needed him most, he went to them first. The Messiah brings light. And in verse number 3, it talks about the salvation of the Gentiles. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. When Christ comes on the scene, joy breaks out. Verse 4, for you have broken the yoke of his burden. These people were under a heavy burden. The Assyrians had come upon them, and uh, the Bible says that the yoke uh, was going to be broken like in the day of Midian. Now, you find there the reference to Midian. Remember the story of Gideon who fought the Midianites. Gideon was minding his business one day, and this is found in Judges chapter 7, and the Lord came to him and he said, listen, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And he said, I am? He said, yeah, you are. And I want you to get a group of men together, and I want you to go fight the Midianites. And, of course, he was very reluctant to do that, as uh, you and I would be as well. And uh, he gathered together about 32,000 men, and he felt pretty good, you know. I got a pretty good army. And uh, the Lord came to him then, and he said, listen, uh, you tell everybody in your army who's afraid to go home. So 22,000 people took up, took, uh, said, I'm afraid, I'm going home. I think I'd have been in that group. Uh, you can get an early discharge if you're afraid. So 22,000 people bail out on him. And you know what the Lord said? He said, you got still too many people. And so the Lord winnowed it down, uh, reduced it to how many? 300. And so then he said, Lord, we really need your help now. But God produced a mighty miracle, and they won the battle. And so it was a decisive battle. And here we find that that's what's going to happen uh, to northern Israel when the Lord comes. The yoke is going to be broken by the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, in verse number 6, uh, the Jews were expecting a political Messiah. Uh, this was what they were preoccupied with. Uh, you and I are always preoccupied with that, aren't we? Every four years, we, uh, we wish some Messiah would come along. And then in the middle of the four-year cycle, we wish we could get some lesser messiahs in there to help us out some. Well, they were always preoccupied, we are too, uh, with getting a uh, political victory. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? Remember, Rome ruled the world. And so in the first part of chapter 9, God says, listen, there's a, a deliverer is coming. Now follow this. A deliverer is coming to northern Israel, but he's coming as a baby. As a baby. Now this is a shocker. Right here, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. A child had to be born. This is an elaboration right here on Isaiah 714. Leaf back there, one page. 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. And so this is the Emmanuel spoken of in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Unto us a child is born. Uh, That refers to his humanity. Unto us a son is given. That refers to his deity or divinity. Uh, In this one person, uh, there would be uh, humanity and divinity. Why a baby? Now, this is always a question we ask. Why a baby? Why would God come into the world as a baby? I think this is the answer. To show that his condescension was total. You know, the Messiah could have taken on humanity as a 33-year-old man. He could have just stepped out on the pages of history as a full-grown, mature man at age 33. He would have still been man. That was the requirement for the redemption. It had to be a man. Uh, And he could have skipped that whole previous time of of problems in his life. Um, The Lord wanted, I think, the world to know that he totally humbled himself the whole way. There was nothing that he didn't do to humble himself, to show you and to me that he really wanted to sense and to feel our life and our lifestyle. A baby. You know, there is nothing weaker, more helpless, more vulnerable, more dependent than a baby. When they give that little package to you in the hospital, uh, your life changes. Your life is no longer yours. (laughs) It does not belong to you anymore. (laughs) That life you used to have has passed away. (laughs) You have another holy existence. Um, And so uh, Jesus came into this world to be born like that, to show you and me that at every stage of life, he was like us. Every stage of life. When he would go out and play with the kids, like every other kids, he probably was made fun of and ridiculed and put down and teased. He wanted to know about that, and and I don't exactly understand that, but I believe that. He wanted to know about that so that when our kids go to God in prayer and say, listen, you know, I'm really having a hard time in school. Kids are making fun of me. You know what the Lord says? Yeah, I know. I had that too. Um, He came down all the way. You might say, well, our Savior doesn't know. He knows everything about the human condition. That's why he was born as a baby. Uh, Paul went into it in further detail in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He said this. He He had equal status with God. This is referring to Christ, the Messiah. But didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, the crucifixion. And so Paul explained the humiliation of Christ. Jesus referred to it whenever he was praying to his father in John chapter 17. You know, right before he went to the cross, he had this big prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, John chapter 17. This is what he said in verse 5. Oh, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You can just imagine or try to imagine what Jesus had before he condescended and came down and, and stripped away the glory that he once had with his Father. In John chapter 17, he was looking back up into heaven and remembering the glory that he had, and he said, Lord, uh, 
Glorify me now with the glory I had with you before. But he set all of that aside to show you and to show me that he was willing to meet us at every stage of our life. Every stage of our life. Um, as I said before, he could have stepped in and still been a human savior at any segment along the way, but he didn't. And you know, he could have suffered in a private way and gave his life in some dark place, maybe even the backside of the moon, something like that. But you know, he chose to go public and he took all, he heaped all of the, he heaped all of the hatred upon himself uh, in a public way outside the city of Jerusalem. He died in a public, ignominious way. And so he completely humbled himself. And the Bible says, even unto death, and then it says, the death of the cross. You know, crucifixion was a shameful death, and it wasn't really permitted for Roman citizens because it was so terrible. If you were a Roman citizen and you were convicted of a capital crime, you had to die in some other way, not crucifixion. And so uh, the, a victim of crucifixion was considered by the Jews a person who was cursed by God, Deuteronomy 21, 23. And that's one of the barriers that the Jewish people have today before uh, in coming to Christ. Because the Bible says, says, he that hangs on a tree is cursed by God. And they said, well, listen, Jesus was hung on a tree, and so therefore he can't be God because that's a curse of God. But what they don't understand is Jesus took our curse and took our place on the cross. Paul describes it in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, because it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Well, the government is going to be on his shoulders. Now, that'll be a great time. Do you know that? That will be a great time. Because Jesus is coming in into the world to organize a government that will rule over the world for a period of a thousand years and then beyond into eternity. When he comes back the second time in Revelation chapter 19, he's here to stay. He's here to stay. Remember what the angel said to the disciples in his ascension. They said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, will so come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so what they were saying is, you just keep your eyes on the sky, Christ is coming back. In the same way, visible, physical, you're going to see him come. And when he comes, he's coming to reign on earth. I like Handel's Messiah, don't you? He said, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, that's a fulfillment of uh, 2 Samuel 7.16 when Jesus assumes the throne of his ancestor David. This baby is going to grow up. The government's going to be on his shoulders. Now, here in, here in this one verse, we have the two comings of Christ. We have Bethlehem, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And we have Jesus coming as King of kings and Lord of lords uh, with a scepter of government in his hand. Uh, and then he says, look what it says then. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, these are just not names of the Lord. They, are, they define his character. Wonderful. Uh, Jesus is that and more, amen? He's wonderful. Where did that come from? I was just looking at it. It came from Judges chapter 13, verse 18. It's the story of Manoah. Uh, some of you remember that. Manoah's wife was out and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord showed up to her and began to talk to her and said, hey, by the way, you're going to have a baby. And uh, he began to explain about this baby. And she went home and told her husband. 
said, you know, this angel met me out there and told me I was going to have a baby, and he said, I'd like to talk to him. I'd like some insight on this thing. And so eventually he got to talk to the angel of the Lord, and we know that the angel of the Lord is none other than the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And so here we have Jesus before Bethlehem comes back as the angel of the Lord and talks to Manoah's wife and then later to Manoah. And uh, they're working this whole thing out about having this baby. And uh, he says, listen, who are you? What's your name? The angel of the Lord. What is your name? The angel of the Lord says, my name is wonderful. That's who I am. My name is wonderful. Judges 13, 18. Uh, Jesus is uh, that and much more. Amen? That and much more. He's wonderful in his person. He's the God-man. The Father or the Holy Spirit did not become incarnate. Only the Son. This is unique. He's wonderful in his work. He did what no other person could do. Hebrews 1.3 says this, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's wonderful in his work. It was, it was him and him alone who paid the price for our sins upon the cross. That's pretty wonderful, amen? Wonderful. Uh, he's not only wonderful, but look at the second thing here, verse 6. He's a counselor. And what does that mean? That means this. That means that Jesus can help you with your problems. That doesn't say that. That's what I put in there. He's a counselor. That means Jesus can help you with your problems. I know some of you, I'm looking at you right now. Uh, you work with people with lots of problems. I mean, that's your job. You go in there and try to make sense out of things that don't make sense. Uh, boy, wouldn't life be so much easier if they followed the counsel of God. He is the great counselor. Um, Jesus came to help us with our problems. We have lots of them. He never sought the counsel of man. He never asked for advice from anybody. In fact, Romans 11.34 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The answer is no one. Colossians 2.3. Let's read this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's referring to the Lord. You want counsel? Look at it. In Christ are these magnanimous treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, I always try to divide wisdom and knowledge into two things. You know, a lot of people have knowledge. I think wisdom is having enough sense to be able to use the knowledge that people have. Jesus has both of them. He not only has wisdom and knowledge, but he has compassion. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. What credentials for a counselor? Wisdom, knowledge, and compassion. Where can you get that? You know, I run into people all the time, and they've been to every counselor known to man. I believe in counseling. I think it's good if you go to the right person and you get the right counsel. If you go to the wrong person and get the wrong counsel, it's not good. But... Uh, the moral of this whole idea is this, is Jesus is the counselor and he really does miracles with our problems if we go to him. He can really work on our problem. He's the great counselor. That helps me. You know, Satan's counsel to Eve led to the ruination of our world and Messiah's counsel leads to its restoration. He is a counselor. He is a mighty God, a powerful warrior. 
Isaiah 10.21 says, The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Revelation 1.8 says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, Jesus is powerful. He's the mighty God. And then, and then we have this other thing. He is the everlasting Father. And, you know, whenever you get to that, you start thinking, now we're talking about Jesus, and all of a sudden they go over here and they say, now this is part of his character right here. He's the everlasting Father. Um, this prophecy is about Christ, the Messiah. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. And so, therefore, this is not talking about the Trinity right here. This is referring to his everlasting care for those who are in his family. You know, a father has a big job. You know that? How about it, men? Do you have a big job? Sure. You got to take care of a lot of things for a long time. And uh, I know some parents think, you know, when my kids grow up and I... I can just get them out, graduated. Then they'll leave. Listen, they don't do that, do they? Then they'll leave and I, my wife and I can have a good time. <laughs> we, can make, we can take a vacation. <laughs> but you know, they just keep coming back. It's, and if they, if they move away, they figure out a way to come back. They do it over Skype or Facebook or whatever. They come back. Fathers have a big, 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 big job, and it never ends. And so this characteristic of Jesus is this, is I am your father, and I'm going to father you forever. You're my son. You're my daughter. I will father you forever. My work will never be done. You know, a father nourishes and protects his kids. And so the Lord does the same thing for you and me. He leads us by still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is always there for us. He says, I will never leave you or I will never forsake you. And so when everybody else disappears off of the radar screen, our Father, Jesus, is there for us. He really is. He's our everlasting Father. And He's always there to meet our need. I, I love Philippians 4.19. I've lived on that most of my life. And so let's read this uh, with enthusiasm, okay? Let's read it. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I love this. Now, it doesn't say, my God shall supply everything you want, does it? <laughs> now, we'd really be messed up if that happened. And so God filters all the things that we talk to him about through our needs. And a lot of times we go and we say, Lord, would you do this for me? And you know what the Lord says? Not, not in my lifetime. Uh, how about this, Lord? No, that's not good for you. Hey, I really need this, God. Nah, you don't need that. Uh, he says here, my God shall supply all your need, what you need, not what you want, what you need. And you know, that's, uh, that's pretty minimal, really. You know that? That's pretty minimal. I would dare to say that in our church, most people have more than they need, don't you think? That's an understatement, isn't it? That's an understatement. Um, and so he's our Heavenly Father, and he's going to be with us there for the whole duration. He said, listen, I'm not leaving you. I'm your dad. You're my child. And then he's the Prince of Peace. Here we project into the future, the millennial kingdom is coming, Revelation chapter 20. It's mentioned time and time and time again. Peace to a war-ravaged world. I'll tell you what, every time we look around the globe, something is happening, right? North Korea has this crazy idea. They want to launch now a, a missile. The last few launches they had were blew up in their face. 
but they want to launch a missile. And Japan says, listen, you launch that missile, we're going to shoot it down. And there's no telling where that will go. Well, one of these days, Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom and uh, turn those implements of war into implements of farming. Uh, and uh, he is going to bring peace. But, you know, in the meantime, he, uh, he brings peace to those who follow him, and that's a good thing because that's where you and I come in. Uh, whenever we accept Jesus as our Savior, we have this peace that he gives to us. And I'll tell you what, you can't trade that for anything in the world. I had a man come into my office one time, and he had everything that money could buy. You know what he said to me? He said, the only thing I want is what? You tell me. Peace. That's what he said. The only thing I want. Money can't buy it. Jesus just gives it away for free. Just gives it away. He said, listen, I'm the Prince of Peace. You follow me, you have peace in your heart. Not in the world. One of these days, peace to the world's coming. Not now. This world is going to get crazier and crazier as the days go by. But God's people can go to sleep at night with peace in their heart. Well, this is the end of it. Jesus can be wonderful to you. Remember that old song? Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Eyes have seen, ears have heard. It's recorded in God's word. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Will you help me on the second? Isn't Jesus wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Eyes have seen, ears have heard. It's recorded in God's word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? He said, my name is wonderful. Roger Metcalf came up to me after the first service and he said, Pastor, I've been in the church for 50 years and I've never heard that song. <laughs> He's the authority, too, on these things. Uh, Jesus can be wonderful to us. He can certainly be our counselor because he is the answer to our problems. He's a mighty God. He's our Father that will never leave us. He is the Prince of Peace. And he wants to, he wants to be all of that and more in, for you and your life if you just surrender yourself to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, I ask you today in the church, is, uh, is this what you want in your life? Do you want uh, Christ the Messiah to uh, be wonderful in your life? Do you want him to be your counselor, your mighty God, your father that will never leave you? When your friends run away from you and they say, we don't want to hang out with you anymore. We don't like you. He will say, listen, I will never leave you. I will always be there for you. You can always count on me. He's your father. Whenever we open our heart to Christ and allow him to come in, uh, we're in for a big change. And if you're here today in the church and you want a big change, Jesus is the answer for you. And so as we come to the conclusion of the service this morning, right there in your seat, you can reach out to him in prayer and you can bear your heart to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm the one in need of big change today in the church. And I, I, I come to you humbly for that. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all these things all these things that uh, you want to be for us. That's why you came at Christmas. I just pray that you'll give faith to everyone in our church to reach out by faith and grasp hold of these things and apply them to their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And
And as we sing this song together, if you'd like to come and pray here at the altar about anything that's going on in your life, the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that as we sing. Closest friend, 